Welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory with Educk podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hey guys. Uh, we're we're talking a lot about Oregon basketball. They had the 66-57 victory over the Oregon State Beavers. Got revenge on Saturday evening at Matthew Knight Arena. Uh, there was a verbal commitment for football with Jalen Hall. Uh, we'll talk about that as well. Possible to get another verbal commitment when you're listening to this that we won't have officially been able to announce. <laughs> yes, uh, there could. We're expecting Oregon to land another verbal commitment, and uh, we will address that later on. I think Kevin and Steve are also doing a podcast to address that commitment. Um, but uh, we'll talk also about this past weekend's uh, visitor list for Oregon football. It was set to be a big one, and then it kind of whittled down to, to a select few key guys uh, for this. 2018 recruiting class, but first, um, let's get back to this basketball team and the outcome of the Civil War and the impact of what's next to go for Oregon, because I think if you look at this, this Civil War win, the 66-57 victory at home, this was Oregon in a nutshell for the <laughs> sure entire 2017-2018 season, because in the first half, it was almost as if they could do no wrong, yeah. and... They went on, I think, what, like a 24-2 to two run at one yep. point. Yep. OSU had a scoring drought of five minutes and three minutes in the, in the first half. Um, the Ducks were up by as many as 22 or 21, 21 points I think, yeah. uh, in the first half. Um, they shot 65% from the field. Um, everything was going right for the Ducks in the first half. And then in the second half, the Ducks just scored 25 points. They make just six field goals. They almost didn't score a field goal in the final eight minutes of the game and yet still found a way to win this game. Um, I think there's a lot to take away. There's a lot to unpack from this one. Uh, your biggest impressions? That this, that this was a game that they looked incredible in one half, but overall I don't think you're very, ins- they don't inspire much confidence going forward. And you mentioned the stretch going forward is really crucial. Two road games in the, in the Bay Area and then the Washington schools at home. I still think Gordon could probably win all four of those games, but you would have liked to see them play that second half just even a little better. I mean, I would argue, and maybe it's a losing argument because they have lost games recently in the second half because of their inability to finish, but that was about as poor of a second overall half as I've seen them play this year. I mean, six made field goals over the course of 20 minutes is really, really hard to win a game like that, and I wrote about it in my piece right afterwards. I think part of that is because Oregon State didn't play a whole lot better. And Oregon State, also a team that struggled in the second half this season. They played, I mean, they obviously they outscored Oregon by like seven in the second half. But if this is the USC, if this is Arizona, this is Arizona State, UCLA, probably Stanford and probably Washington, they're not going to win those games. They might be able to do it against Cal and Washington State, who are, I think, combined two and 15 or something in the Pac-12. But they have to play better than that. And it wasn't just the offensive side either. I mean, Oregon State couldn't, you know, hit the broadside of a barn in the first half yeah. for the most part. And in the second half... You know, was able to get baskets at the rim. Was able to start hitting some jump shots. Both teams shot very poor from three, but you know, this is a situation where somehow Oregon wins by nine, but they played incredibly poorly offensively. And once again, I, I don't know if it was what Oregon State was doing because they did they, they did go back to a zone which which had given Oregon a lot of trouble in Corvallis, but. Also, I just wonder about if they got a little too conservative a little too early, and this is something we've seen recently in these struggles late games where it seems like they kind of start going almost to their stall offense with six to eight minutes to go, and it almost felt like they went to their stall offense for 24 minutes in the second half there. 
you look at this team, and I think the the one of the telling stats of why Oregon was able to win was because the Beavers shot 12 of 16 from the free throw line. It's a good percentage. It's yeah. a good number. Um, but Oregon's ability to get to the free throw line, they they attempted uh, – where's Oregon stats here? They, they attempted 19 of 24 free throws. So they made more free throws than OSU even attempted. And you kind of look at – you know, a game like this, that's why Oregon was able to pull off, pull away and, and keep the lead in the second half. They went 11 of 16. Um, you know, they almost, uh, they shot as many free throws in the second half as OSU did in the entire game. And this was an instance where Oregon down the stretch struggled to score. And I agree with you. They, it, it was strange because it was like they were in a two minute offense up 10 with 10 minutes to go in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, milking the clock down to the final six or seven seconds before uh, engaging in, in their offense to try and get a shot, and that's just not good basketball no. uh, when you have so much time left. And you know, you wrote about this on the site earlier in the week of Oregon's inability to close games. Fifth straight game uh, Oregon has had now um, with four minutes to go in the game. They had the lead, and it was a close game. And you know, thankfully for the Ducks, they're three and two in those situations, but. You could make you could make a case that they should be five and zero. Oh. You, you can make a case that they could probably have lost yeah. four or five of those games as well. Um, I think this is just a weird year. Uh, we're seeing the impacts of so many guys leaving from the program. So many new, so many freshmen having key roles on this team of a team that's just going through the growing pains at a very very slow rate. You know, Dana Altman said. Even the, the veteran guys like Elijah Brown, yeah. while he scored 20 points and led the Ducks and had 18 points in the first half, I think it was like, what, four or five from the field? He went 0 of 6 in the second half, some really poor uh, shot attempts and some really bad turnovers. And, you know, so you look at his stat line overall and it's 20 points, six rebounds, three assists. He had a really good game. But if you listen to Dana Altman, not entirely true because the first half was tremendous but just like Oregon in a nutshell his second half was was poor yeah and this is just it's excruciating I bet for the staff it has to be and and again you mentioned the older guys but I just think as a whole it seems like there's no confidence about what they're doing and I will mention that you know the guys seem pretty upbeat after the game you know yeah. and you go out and you and I actually asked Peyton Pritchard about six <laughs> you guys only made six field goals. we only made six I thought we had a lot more than that yeah. you know I, I think I think they're just at this point and, and you know this seems different than a lot of Dana Altman teams because we've seen him throughout the years nitpick games they win by 15 points or games like this that they win I think the I think they're just going, okay, we're winning basketball games. I know it's not pretty right now, but let's just take the victory. Let's go ahead and, and move forward. This is a big rivalry game. They still won by about 10 points. I think it's clear they weren't dwelling on the negatives because I'm sure Altman looked at the box score and said, holy crap, he made six field goals in the second half. And it doesn't sound like he told the players that because Pritchard was surprised by it. You asked Pritchard the first question about kind of the difficulty of the second half. Oh, we still won by 10 points. Yeah. We still got the win. So um, I, I, I think that they're just going to take these – Take what they can at this point because this does feel like such a strange up and down season. And you mentioned how Oregon closed the game. This is actually the first time that they um, increased their advantage over the first four <laughs> minutes. And they made like one field goal and, and it's it weird basketball. It's a really weird, uh, really really weird game. But um, the, the key is Oregon is now 500 in Pac-12 play, and, and looking ahead to the schedule, they could be. You know, if they play things out right, they could be four games over 500. You know, over the course of the next two weekends. Yeah, they they hit hit the road this weekend. They play at California on Thursday, uh, and then on Saturday they play an afternoon game 
uh, at Stanford. And then they come home after that in two weeks and they play the Washington schools. They play the Huskies uh, on Thursday night and then Sunday night they play their lone Sunday game, yeah. I think, in the Pac-12 yes. entirety, uh, home or away. They, they play the Washington State Cougars. So uh, this is an opportunity for Oregon, A, um, if they lose a game against Cal and they lose a game against yep. Washington State, we said this, we were discussing this kind of podcast before we, went, we started recording, and you you said it, and I 100% agree. If they lose one of these two games against the Cougars or the, or the Bears, they're done. They're not in the tournament. Yep. That's a tournament killer. Those are absolutely tournament killers because those are teams that are – and they've already got one in the conference play because Oregon State's RPI is, I think, pretty similar. It's like in the 150s to 170s. You can't lose another one of those, especially when you're, you know, I think Lenardi had it before the Oregon State game, and Oregon was like the 16th team outside the field, which is a long ways out, but at least they're kind of still in the picture. It's the first time in a long time that Oregon's even been in the discussion. And if they lose to Cal on on Thursday or or Washington State the next week, I would argue that you can probably push them all the way off the bubble because those are, are teams that... Have like I said, want to combine I think two out of fifteen, two out of seventeen games or something like that. They're two and fifteen in Pac-12 play. They don't have good wins just on the season. Although I think Washington State won a couple of decent ones during non-conference. But either way, those are games you can't lose, and, and those will knock you off the bubble. Um, they can also, I think, by beating both Stanford and Washington, kind of give themselves a little bit of you know quality wins there. Stanford's going to be a weird team for the committee to deal with. We talked about this a couple times just because they. Played so terrible in non-league play without a couple of key players, and now they're playing really well in Pac-12 play. And Washington is, I believe, kind of you know one of those last four teams out or one of those first four teams in right now. They're kind of on that borderline as the fourth Pac-12 team. So if Oregon can take care of business against them, that would go a long way. So I think two games here against Stanford and Washington, which are going to be really tough. But if they get the wins there, they'll they'll move their RPI up. But if they lose either one or both of those. Those games against Cal Washington State, those are absolute resume killers. Yeah, you look at the RPI. Oregon currently is 85th. So typically, you to, to get into the tournament as an at-large team, uh, you need to be somewhere in the 50s or, or, 50s be- or below. Or below. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think the highest a team has ever made it is like 62. And that, I believe, was like a Big Ten team or an AC. I can't remember where it came. I mean, Syracuse or something. Yeah, like where big wins. Yeah. they played in an incredibly tough league. You know, where eight teams or seven teams got in the NCAA tournament. That's not the Pac-12 this season. So, you know, Oregon doesn't have the luxury of leaning on the Pac-12 conference and saying to the committee, hey, well, we, you know, we lost some games. Yeah, we have 11 losses or 10 losses, but we played in such a difficult conference that four or five of these losses equate to, you know, six or seven wins for these other teams that are in poor, poor leagues. Right. Um, you know, Oregon doesn't have that luxury. They're currently, uh, 85th in the RPI as of Monday morning. And they've got an opportunity though to, to make up some ground because you look at the four teams that they're playing and Stanford is 94th. You, you said it themselves. They're 11 and 11, but in conference play, uh, they are much improved. They're healthy now. They're kind of that weird team. How the committee is going to I don't know. Yeah, is going to view them part. could dictate a lot for other teams because of injuries and whatnot. Uh, and then Washington uh, next Thursday at home is a top fifty team right now. And I went through and looked at the schedules for the entire Pac-12, and you know, you just kind of guessing here a little bit on you know who wins here, who wins there type stuff. Oregon's currently seventh in the Pac-12 at four and four, but if they can find a way to get you know four and zero over these next four games, and that's a tall order to ask, they will be fifth. 
either you know somewhere between fifth, fourth, or third in the Pac-12 conference because of who the teams around them and who the teams above them are playing in the next two or three weeks. And so Oregon's got a chance. You know, they're seventh in the Pac-12 right now, but they've got a huge opportunity to kind of push themselves up to that top four in the Pac-12 conference, and that's important because you get that conference tournament by. For I was going to ask, is that a good thing for Oregon? Do they want to buy, though, or do they want another tournament win? I know that if they're like the seven seed, they wouldn't play a very good team, but I just wonder, is do they are they playing for the buy, or would they prefer to pick up another conference tournament win to bolster their red? I feel like if, you, if, if Oregon can find themselves into that top three, yeah. you will have won enough games True. to get to that point where you're in the tournament. Sure. In, in my opinion, I think you're probably and, right. and then you're playing a team that's going to be sixth or, or seventh uh, in the Pac-12 conference, um, maybe, maybe fifth uh, if you can get to that fourth spot. And if you win that one, you're automatically in. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the goal. If you're Oregon, it's telling yourselves get to the top three, get to the top four, because if we can do that, Oregon has an opportunity to to kind of secure their spot in the tournament, and then it's. You know, if you win two or three games, then you're talking about, you know, maybe being a 10 seed compared to maybe a 7 or a 6 seed in, in the conference tournament. Well, and here's my question. What's their ceiling, do you think, as an NCAA tournament seed? I mean, is it is it a 9 or a 10 seed at this point? I mean, do they have enough quality games on the schedule? I guess if they, like, won out and beat Arizona in the conference championship, they could maybe move into, like, a top 6 seed. That's what I was going to say. I think if, if, you know, if we're talking best-case scenario, they don't lose the rest of the year, that would mean... They would have a top 50 win against Washington, uh, a top two, two against Washington. Two against Washington. Washington. They'd have a, a top 25 win against Arizona, a top 50 win against Arizona State. Uh, they'd have a top 100 win against UCLA and a top 50 win against USC in conference play. That's six games right there uh, that, you know, quite frankly, Oregon's only got, I think, one or two top 50 wins on their docket right now. Um, so they get... They get they add six you know five more top fifty wins I think that pushes them into that eight nine range uh, going into the conference tournament and then you know if that perfect scenario plays out they're probably going to finish second in the Pac twelve regular season um, and if they win the conference tournament you know the, the teams that they'd have to play would you know be some something like an Arizona State right. and then a USC or a UCLA and then an Arizona that would be three more top fifty wins right there and that, I think that would put them probably sixth or you know. Seventh or fifth, kind of depending on how the rest of the country shakes out. But so if they're like twenty-seven and seven, you think they're they're, they're probably going to get a decent yeah, seat. they'll get a, they'll get a decent seat. But that's such a you know <laughs> it's ludicrous. It's, it's not like, possible. You know, I, I, after watching them make six field goals in a, yeah. in a half last game, it's hard to, to expect them to run, rattle off thirteen straight. Straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that probability of that is is not very high. But you did ask for the best case scenario. But I, I think did. a realistic. Seed scenario for them is probably anywhere from a 12 to an 8. Yeah. Um, and if, I, if it was me, I'd rather have the 12 than the 8 or the 9 because while you might have a, a better chance of winning that first round game, then you're paired up against the 1 seed in the second round. And I'd rather take my chances with you know pulling off an upset of the 5 and then pulling off another upset of the 4. Which Oregon did in that Sweet 16 run about five years ago. Right. Right. Um, Shifting gears to Oregon football recruiting, Jalen Hall's verbal commitment happened uh, Friday morning. Uh, this past Friday, a uh, couple hours before Oregon really kicked off their official visit period over the weekend, and it was a I, – I would consider it 
a really big commitment. I'm not going to call it a program changer or a no. monumental commitment. But at the same time, Jalen Hall is now Oregon's highest rated commit for the 2018 class, and it comes at a position of need. Huge position of need. I mean, Oregon, we've talked about this a couple of times. If you follow recruiting at all, you know, Oregon had like five commitments from four-star wide receivers at one point. They didn't have any until last Friday when Jalen Hall joined the group, and and he is the type of body that they need. I mean, he fits the need in terms of they need wide receivers in this class, and they need guys with his body type. I mean, you look at Oregon's roster this last season, they didn't have anybody 6'4", and he's he's a 6'4", 210-pound guy who can play on the outside. He's an awesome jump ball receiver in the red zone. I mean, I think he's going to change the dynamics out there. He's something that they just haven't had a whole lot of. I mean, maybe Dwayne Stanford is the closest comparison, and he's probably, I would say, better than Stanford, at least if you look at recruiting rankings. Uh, he's not a burner, but he's he's a guy that'll come in and I think has a really good chance of contributing right away, just because of his size and athleticism. Now it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next week with with recruiting at that position, because that could kind of impact his ceiling. I think as a freshman, because they're they're going after a number of guys who are on par or probably a little higher rated guys than he is. But either way, this is a, a commitment they needed. I think this is the first verbal commitment. In a while, too. Is this their second since signing day? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, they had Carson Battles. He committed and signed a couple days after the December 20th start of the early signing period. Um, Hacky Woods and Andrew Folio and Sion Veakeva were all signing day signing, signing, day signing commitments. Um, outside of that, yeah, there's, you know, I, I can't remember maybe the last time Oregon landed a verbal commitment before signing day was Elijah Winston mm-hmm. a couple of days before Willie Taggart decided to to skip town. But um, it, it'd been a while from Oregon, you know, to have a verbal commitment over a month uh, time when you know Packy Woods and Battles and Via Cava and Folio all gave their verbal commitments in that you know forty eight hour you know seventy two hour window. Right. Um, but it was it was a big deal because. You felt like Oregon was close to getting a commitment or the team to beat for multiple receivers. Yeah. Miles Battle, Michael Ozeki, uh, Treshawn Harrison, maybe Isaiah Crocker, maybe Devin Williams, Devin Williams and Jalen Hall. You have all these names and, and, and everyone we talked to, everyone that we heard from, everyone that we, you know, recruits that we, Talk to ourselves, themselves even said, you know, Oregon's my number one, or Oregon and this school is, you know, tied for the top and stuff. And it's kind of, it was kind of like, who's going to be that, you know, penguin to, to fall off the cliff first to dive into the pool yeah. to, to get everyone else to, to dive in too and, and start, you know, building some momentum for the position. And, and I think that's kind of the hard, from a recruiting standpoint, that's kind of the hardest thing in recruiting is, you're so close to so many guys. You just need to get one to, to follow through and go all the way with a commitment because then after that, kind of opens the floodgates and some other guys start start popping. You called it a domino effect. I guess what can we, without revealing too much, can we reveal a couple of dominoes that might fall following Jalen Hall's career? Sure. I mean, I, you look at Hall and he's an outside receiver. I think that puts a lot of pressure on a guy like Miles Battle and Michael Ozeki, um, Isaiah Crocker, three guys that – Oregon, Devin Williams, um, but Crocker, Ezeki, and Battle, I think are guys that are very talented, but they're not in the same stratosphere as Devin Williams of a potential instant impact type of a guy. Right. Um, Devin Williams was a five-star at one point, and 
I just lost it. Just lost his five star status, um, but he's very close, you know, to, to keeping it. And he's a guy that you know every school in the country has offered, and you know, literally every school has. And you know, Zeki and, and Battle and Crocker, while very talented, and the of them had you know very elite offers. You know, Crocker has an Alabama offer that to me tells you a lot about. His potential, right? Um, but at the same time, their offer lists don't compare to Williams, and so those three were guys that you know you could maybe argue like Oregon could take two of the three, but they're not going to take all three unless you know that, uh, Williams doesn't give a verbal commitment here in the next couple weeks, and um, you know they need receivers before Williams decides what he's doing, and then that's a scenario where you get all of them. But I, I think Crocker or you know Zeki or Battle. You know, one of those guys is probably going to come out and you know look at the, the scenario and say, "Wow, Jalen Hall's already committed. Devin Williams is probably leaning there. He's automatically going to have a spot. If I want to keep a spot at Oregon because I want to go there, I need to do it now instead of waiting until you know signing day because I might lose my spot." Yeah, and Oregon hosted. It's worth mentioning three receivers over the week on along with Andre Fowley, the defensive line signee. They they hosted Williams, Crocker, and Trayshawn Harrison. Um, I think there's probably a good chance Oregon signs a couple of those guys yeah. before signing day. And again, that wide receiver position, along with probably defensive line, remains kind of the position um, of need right now. And in defensive line, it's it'll be interesting to see kind of what they do this this last weekend because they they tripped out a number of guys, but it doesn't sound like they're going to gain verbal commitments probably from any of those. guys. Yeah, there's a couple guys that like Jackson Cravens. I don't think he's going to be going to Oregon. Um, We've also learned that, you know, Tyler Manoa was supposed to be here this past weekend for an official visit. He did not show up. He instead went to Utah. Um, and then what's going to happen with, uh, Jeremiah Martin or Moro Ojomo? Um, a Quintus Miller visited, Quintus but, he, Miller. but he, he's re-upped his commitment to Auburn. Yeah. He went to, uh, Tennessee this past weekend and has come out and said he's done visiting other schools. Uh, he's done considering other schools. He's now just gonna sign with Oregon and, I mean, sign without, oh, sign with Auburn. Breaking <laughs> news. Sign with Auburn and, you know, I think it was one of those deals where it was kinda like, he was 85% locked in. Yeah. Kinda wanted to see other parts of the country he may not see ever again for free. And at the hard same- to, Hard to blame. Yeah, him. hard to blame. I don't blame him one bit. You know, four schools wanna pay you to come hang out for a weekend and you get wined and dined, sign me up. Where do I, where do I do this? Is there a seminar I have to listen to, uh, to get points? Um, but the, the receiver position, I think they're going to try and find a D lineman if they can. Um, the way it's shaking out though, you know, the, the recruiting class is going to be somewhere in that 26, 25 to probably, you know, maybe 29 guys. It's just going to be figuring out who fits into that puzzle for Oregon's for 2018 recruiting class. And we did, we should mention, we did do a class calculator update, which is now kind of offset by a couple of happenings that kind of impact right. how we projected. But it still looks like Oregon has the potential to land its best class in program history. I think pretty good odds. And, and I think based upon where recent classes have kind of scored out, they do 24-7 uses a, a composite scoring system. They have a chance to, to kind of score you know, somewhere that would put them close to the back end of the top 10 in that 8 to 10 to 12 range, I think. Kind yeah, of Oregon range. currently, Monday morning, uh, I think I checked it around 8 a.m. as of Monday morning, um, the Ducks were 15th in the country, um, actually one spot ahead of Florida State at 16. Uh-oh. I know there's a lot of Oregon fans that have, have kind of created this rivalry uh, of Willie Taggart and how his program is doing at Florida State compared to Oregon's. 
Um, so if you're curious, that's where they're at there. Um, but if they add a couple more pieces, they can move up to 14th, 13th, or 12th here in the next couple of days, and uh, and then they'll be able to you know position themselves where if they can add a couple more guys, like a Penny Sewell, they could get into the top 10. I think the highest rating they've ever had for 24-7 sports composite is 11th. Right. So they're a couple spots away. They've got plenty of big names still on the board, so that's still a legit possibility to get that rating. And, and using the, the, the team scoring thing, which is, again – for a lot of people, let's just look at the ranking. But I think the team scoring the highest I've had is 253. The projection we did last week had them at about 263. So there's a chance that they'll, even if the ranking number isn't higher, that they're that just overall the way that the class is scored, it will be high, the highest in school history. And we should also note before we sign off, um, while Oregon was heavily focused on 2018 guys for this past weekend for official visitors, uh, they did have a couple really big 2019 prospects. And for Oregon fans, this is something you need to get used to. I said this under when Uli Taggart was the head coach, and it's going to get even stronger with Mario Cristobal as head coach. Oregon's staff now is hosting, recruiting, offering, treating the, the senior class and the junior class with equal importance. Um, obviously, right now, signing day, you know, the the 18 class has a little bit more of of time spent recruiting. Right. But Oregon is, you know, super aggressive with the underclassmen 2019, even 2020, because that's the way the recruiting game is starting to shift. You've got to recruit guys for two or three years instead of 12 months, eight months, seven months, sometimes 18 months. For quarterbacks, if you if you haven't offered, you know, by their sophomore year, you're out of the game for the elite guys. Um, just that's just the way it's gone. And Oregon is starting to, you know, become more and more aggressive with these underclassmen offers. And they had two guys on campus this weekend: EJ and Doma Ogre, a, a top 50 offensive lineman out of uh, Allen, Texas, and, and uh, the Allen High School program. If you're familiar with recruiting, that's a powerhouse school. Oh, yeah. Um, he came here for an unofficial visit. He was the U.S. Army uh, underclassman All-American Combine MVP, meaning he was the most impressive guy from a physical and a skill standpoint of all the underclassmen at the U.S. Army All-American game uh, this past earlier this month. And then they also had Chris Steele, a top 50 cornerback from St. John Bosco High School in California, powerhouse school. Oregon's probably offered about 15 guys from that school from 2018 to 2020 prospects. So it was good. It was good for Oregon to have their official visitors, but also key for these underclassmen. And one thing, probably before we sign off, but you mentioned how aggressive they are. I think last week alone they had over 20 offers yeah. sent out to underclassmen 2019, 2020. So it's not just that they're visiting guys or bringing guys in for visits, but they are continuing to kind of identify some of the guys they like next class. And that's one of the things that you know if you're into recruiting as much as I know the the two of us and Kevin are, and a lot of people on the board. These are the guys that you want to just kind of keep an eye on and see who they're offering because you know, you'll learn a lot around this time of year about kind of who the priority recruits are going to be and, and so just kind of keep an eye on some of the names that are popping up this last Yeah, week. the guys that coaches go and see, you know, during this late stretch when they're making their tours around their 2018 prospects, they're popping in for a couple guys for 2019 and 2020. That's a pretty big indicator of, of where they view them uh, in the pecking order and, and their early big boards. So that will do it for us. Uh, go to iTunes if you don't listen to us there and just search for the Duck Territory Podcast. Uh, also want to mention this, uh, if you're listening to this on Monday, we, Monday is our final day of our promo where we get, we're offering five months of VIP access for the price of one month. 
Um, so, and that goes away Monday, 9 p.m. Pacific time, uh, January 29th. So if you're listening to this before that time and you're on the fence about signing up, this is the perfect time to do it because you get five months free. You get the, the stretch run of the, of the 2018 signing period. You'll get all our analysis, all our VIP content on that, our early stuff on 2019 recruits, uh, spring football coverage, the, the rest of the basketball season as well. Uh, and then once spring football is over, Oregon coaches will hit the road for go out and evaluating recruits the camp circuit in June, all that gets covered for that five-month VIP access. So if you're on the fence about it, I highly encourage you uh, to go to Duck Territory and sign up for the five-month VIP access for the price of one. It ends 9 p.m. Pacific time, Monday, January 29th. That probably won't be back again for another year or so. Um, typically, we only do it once or twice a year. We don't know when it happens. Um, we, we just know right now it's going on. So if you're on the fence, go ahead and give us a try there. Uh, until we talk to you sometime next week when we recap Oregon's basketball trip down to the Bay Area, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. See you guys.